wondering, uh, for those who are listening online, maybe it's because you're in our kids' ministry, uh, we're grateful that uh, you're tuning in and thankful to our kids' ministry volunteers for sure. Uh, maybe it's just because you're not here or you're too far away. Just uh, shout out to my buddy Pete, who's listening from Nova Scotia, uh, and a couple others out there, Dietrich and Victoria, listening in Newfoundland. They let me know that they're moving back this way. They're they like, we, we've had enough. We're coming to actually back with the real King's Way. So can't wait for you guys to get back here. Um, if you are uh, visiting with us or haven't been here in a few weeks, we're actually in a series that we started uh, just after Christmas and we're heading to Easter. Uh, it's based on a, well, loosely on a series by Andy Stanley called 90, where they did the same type of idea of what would it be like to follow Jesus, just taking a look at following his life from, from uh, Christmas to Easter. And, and so that's what we're endeavoring to do each and every week and ask to ourselves this question, am I really following Jesus? The reason we have to ask that is because we have this thing in, in North America called Christian. And Christian, you ask people, are you a Christian? Yeah. What does that mean? You'll get a ton of different answers depending on who you talk to about what the word Christian means. And so we said if a Christian is a follower of Christ, a follower of Jesus, that looks like something. And just to measure our lives by it every week, does my life look like that? And so today we're going to do that again, endeavor to do that again. Um, we're we, we wonder, well, what did it look like to follow Jesus back in the day? Well, the good news is we have eyewitness reports of what it looked like to follow Jesus back in the day. There was a man named Luke. He was a historian and a doctor. He wasn't an eyewitness, but he talked to a whole bunch of other eyewitnesses so that he could, he could give a, a, a chronological account of the life of Jesus. Then there was other eyewitnesses who were there, like John. We're going to look at his writings today. A guy named Matthew, he was there. They wrote and the reason they wrote, they didn't write these things saying, hey, let's start a new religion, fellas. Let's see if we can, let's see if we can con all of our friends and people around us into giving us money. Let's, 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 let's start a new religion. They didn't do that at all. They, they saw their friend die on a cross, and then they saw him again alive. And like, that is, like, that, that is unbelievable, and yet it's true. We've got to write this down so that people have a chance to know and because they wrote it down, we have a chance to see and read it as well. So before we get too far in this morning, I do have to post a disclaimer. Uh, so we're going to just put this up here. This is the disclaimer for today. This message might mess with you. So if it messes with you, you were warned. Uh, and, and I'm hope in the end that you're actually glad it messed with you. Uh, the other thing is there will be a lot of verses today, and you should listen to them carefully. Uh, and then also, there will be comments in today's talk that may be offensive to some listeners, and they should be. Oh, you're going to post? All right. So, fair warning. Last chance to get out if you want to. We won't look. All right. Do you, do you remember what life was like when you grew up? When you were a kid? Who did you hang out with when you were a kid? Who were you drawn to when you were a child? To, like, those are the people I want to be my friends. It's even interesting to notice up here this morning, as the kids got up here, there was the group over here that we know bring around the Rosie. And this group is like, yeah, well, we freestyle. So last night, there, last night there was a group of kids up here who were flossing during worship. Uh, <laughs> but they were flossing together, right? And there was other kids. that we, we, tend to, we tend to be drawn to people who are like us. We tend to be drawn to people who have similar interests uh, to us. And... and, and the, 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 that part's fine. But there's another part of us that, that maybe we're not as aware of, but when we're drawn to the people that we're like, we tend to, to treat the ones on the outside who are not like us differently. We tend to be kind to our kind, and we, we tend to treat others around us who are not our kind differently. 
I remember when I was 13 years old, there was this thing called Kingdom Bound. Anybody remember Kingdom Bound? Darien Lake, they had all the Christian concerts. I think they still do it. Uh, 13 years, no, not 13 years ago, just a lot of years ago. I was 13, uh, and my parents took us to Kingdom Bound, my whole family, and uh, it started on a Thursday and went over the weekend, and we went there on the Wednesday night uh, because we wanted to get there, you know, before it all started. And they actually had one concert on the Wednesday night, and it was called the, the, the Rap and Worship Night. And so we're like, we thought, man, we can get an extra concert in. So my brother and I, he was a year younger. We said, well, let's go to this concert. So my parents let us go. They were setting up camp, and we went to the rap and worship night. And we got in there, and there was hundreds of people in this tent. And we're about ready to just get, get ready to start. And we look around, and, and all of a sudden, I have this awkward feeling come over me. And I actually had this feeling like, I don't feel like I'm actually, like I'm safe here even. My brother and I looked at each other, and we're like, we're the only white kids. I know it's racist. You don't have to tell me. But all of a sudden, we were like, we're surrounded by Christian teenagers at a rap and worship night, and we don't feel safe. What, what is that? There's that little twinge of, well, they're not like me. They're not my kind. And so we feel like, oh, we begin to look differently at those who are not our kind. And maybe for you, you've had events like that. Maybe in your life, think back. I mean, maybe you're in high school, so you should remember what high school is like if you're in it. But um, hopefully... Uh, but maybe you just remember what your life was like in high school. Who did you hang around with at high school? Who did you sit with when it was time for lunch or in the cafeteria? Uh, there's, a, there's a movie 15 years ago called Mean Girls. Anybody remember Mean Girls? No, some of you don't. Well, you get the chance to, to view a little portion of Mean Girls this morning where they just kind of describe some of the people that you might meet if you went to high school in this town. Here. This map is going to be your guide to North Shore. Now, where you sit in the cafeteria is crucial because you got everybody there. You got your freshmen, ROTC guys, preps, JV jocks, Asian nerds, cool Asians, varsity jocks, unfriendly black hotties, girls who eat their feelings, girls who don't eat anything, desperate wannabes, burnouts, Sexually active band geeks, the greatest people you will ever meet, and the worst. Beware of the plastic. So I don't know if that looked like your high school, but I imagine it was missing a few things. The smoke pit or, you know, whatever, uh, whatever other places may have been at your school. But who did you hang out with at your high school? And maybe you're like, well, I went to the Dutch high school, so I hung out with the Dutch kids. They were all Dutch kids. But even in that group... There was different groups that you're drawn to. Uh, and f- as, we, as we think back, we think, you know, yeah, maybe we were drawn to certain groups of people, but, th- but th- we all know that ended in high school, right? Yep. <laughs> or did it? Or did it? No. You know, it's, it's true that it, it, doesn't, it didn't end there. Have you, have you ever been tempted, ever, not that you said anything, but have you ever been tempted to judge people, um, just kind of in here, based on appearance? race, gender, or stereotype? Ever been tempted to, to have a thought about them? For instance, this week maybe you read the news and you read this story, tragic story. A man kills his 11-year-old daughter on her birthday. And possibly the first thought comes to your mind, like many have spoken to me, oh, must have been a Muslim. Not for some. I told you it's going to be offensive. You know, what about, what about this this article, this week in St. Louis, a young U.S. rapper 
was found by policemen sleeping in his car, and he woke up suddenly, and they shot him 25 times, killing him, assuming because he was black that he was dangerous. Cost a man his life. How about this? There's a vehicle stolen in Hagersville this week. Thought, must have been a native. You know, there's, there's things that cross our minds sometimes. So, so quickly, these thoughts that are like, oh, these stereotypical judgments that we make. Uh, maybe not always, but what happens if you just happen to meet some random people? You're tempted to judge them based on things like appearance. You hang out at their house, maybe, and all of a sudden, you, or you, know, you, like, you hang around them, you're like, oh, you know, they're so dirty, I, just, I feel like I've got to go home and have a shower. You know, or maybe, maybe there's the, the clothing they wear. You know, there's a guy, he's wearing purple, must be gay. Last night, there was a guy wearing purple pants here, and that did not go well. <laughs> he texted me this morning, he forgave me, we're good. But maybe you judge people. You know, you just hear simple things like their occupation. Oh, I'm a mechanic. <laughs> You're a ripoff. You know, or, you, you know, or the, ah, I'm a lawyer. Oh, greasy in it for the money. Maybe it's political views. You know, you hear that they're liberal. They voted liberal, and you're like, oh, can't believe. Loves Trudeau. Probably loves abortion, too. You know, or the opposite side. Conservative. Man, you guys are so backwards, non-progressive. You Trump lover. It's these thoughts. You know, maybe you hear the word millennial. Instantly you think, oh, the millennial, oh, that's the generation they are. They're teenager or whatever. They must be entitled. <laughs> they must be ungrateful. They must be lazy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Or maybe you hear the word Dutch people. This week, as I had some people working at my house, they were mentioning the, the Dutch people. All oh, those Dutch people are so cheap. It's like the old joke. You know why Dutch people have big noses, right? Because air is free. They want to get as much as they can. You know, the others say, Dutch people, they're stubborn. You know, the wooden shoes, wooden head, wouldn't listen. What stereotypes, things that people just seem to think, oh, I hear that. Church people. You hear the word church people, and what do they think, you know? Oh, hypocritical, narrow-minded, you know, judgmental. What might it be? See, the thing, reality is we're, we, we tend to be drawn to people who are like us, to our kind. It's actually kind of awkward and uncomfortable to be around people that we don't think are our kind. It doesn't mean that we don't. It just it has this thing of awkward, awkwardness, and we tend to treat others differently as a result. And so today, we just simply want to look at how Jesus treated people who were different than him. Because today, you're kind of drawn to people who are similar to you. A group of people in the Haldeman, Norfolk County area who like to go to church on a Sunday morning. you kind of all in this room, but... But who's not in this room? And who could be if we would broaden our circle a little? So let's jump right in. A few weeks ago, we talked about a guy named Nicodemus. Uh, if you were, weren't here, you could listen to that online. Nicodemus was, a, a, he would call himself a good person. Maybe here, you're here this morning, you kind of relate to that. You know, you, you kind of keep all the rules. You keep your nose clean. You haven't done anything really, really bad. That was him. He thought, you know, I, I'm good with God. And in his opinion, he was. Well, we learned that he met Jesus one night. Uh, probably because he didn't want his other goody-two-shoe people to know that he was hanging out with a guy like Jesus, who they all thought was this, uh, this liar and this, this, uh, you know, this person that they, they didn't want anybody to be around. Well, he meets with him at night, and he asks him some questions, and Jesus says, says to him, <laughs> you know, he actually is trying to hide out, and like, hopefully nobody finds out. The problem is John, an eyewitness, was there, and he writes down the conversation. So not only could Nicodemus' friends read it, but we get to read it too. 
So the whole world gets to hear about this, this, this uh, conversation that wasn't supposed to be heard by anyone. And Jesus told Nick that night, buddy, it doesn't matter how good things are on the outside. It doesn't matter how much you've, you've adjusted your behavior to be good. You will never be good enough. You need something on the inside. You need to be born again inside. Something has to change here. Well, Jesus was in Jerusalem at that point. He left there. It says in, um, it says in the beginning of John chapter 4, you can turn there, but before you do, I just want to show you a map. Jesus was uh, down here in Jerusalem in this area. And it says he left there and he went into kind of this area of Judea. And he's hanging out here in, in Judea where they were um, uh, baptizing people by the river. And there's another guy, remember John the Baptist? He was baptizing people. Well, John the Baptist's disciples got a little jealous because Jesus was baptizing more people than their friend John. And so they, the, the Pharisees got wind of it and the Pharisees come to Jesus and, and, and he knows what they're thinking. And so it says Jesus knows that the Pharisees uh, they know that he's baptizing more people. He's like, we don't want this conversation right now. And so it says this, that he's, then John 4, verse 4, you can follow along. He's going to head back to Galilee. So he's leaving Judea, he's going north to Galilee. It says this in verse 4, he had to go through Samaria on the way. Jesus had to go through Samaria on the way. When it says he had to, he didn't really have to. It's like with my kids, when they fight, and I'm like trying to figure out who, which one started it, often this is a conversation. So why did you hit your brother? He took my toy, so I had to. No, you didn't had to. You could, there was other options. What other options? I could have kicked him. No, you know, uh, there, what's the other options? That, that we're really having the parenting seminar for Beth and myself, just so you know, you guys can join along. But I had to, you know, is there, is there a thing? They didn't really have to. They had other options, but they felt compelled to. And that's the idea, same thing with Jesus. When you look at the map, Jesus didn't really have to, um, the map, yeah, there. But Jesus didn't really have to go through Samaria on the way. And most Jewish people didn't. They would actually leave Jerusalem and go to this place called Jericho here. And they would travel along the Jordan River Valley, which was, uh, and take them north around the area of Samaria. And then they'd come up to Galilee at the top. That's normally the way the Jewish people would travel. Why? Because there was these people that lived in Samaria called Samaritans. Anybody heard of a Samaritan before? Good Samaritan? Maybe that's the one you've heard of, but the Jewish people hated the Samaritans, and vice versa. These, they, 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 had, they had issues with each other that ran deep. They weren't considered good Samaritans to the Jewish people. History would tell us, uh, 2 Kings, you can actually read it for yourself. 2 Kings 17 tells us what happened. Uh, 750 years, okay? That's a long time before this event. 750 years before, um, oh, I'll just leave that for a second. Don't put that one up. Not yet. 750 years before, the king of Assyria, his name was uh, Shalmaneser. Shalmaneser of Assyria came and attacked Israel, took the 10 tribes to the north, all the north area. He took all those people, as many as he could, he took them out. There was a few stragglers left. But then what he did is he brought a whole bunch of new people in. They would refer to them as the heathens. Brought them into this place. Well, they intermarried with some of the Jewish people that, was, that were left there. And the result was a whole bunch of half-Jewish people, quarter-Jewish people, not pure Jewish people. And so the, the Jewish people looked at these people like, those are not our kind anymore. And they, they didn't like them. But 2 Kings 17 reveals even more about these people. It says this, these new residents worship the Lord. These new people, they actually worshiped the Lord. But they also appointed from among themselves all sorts of people as priests to offer sacrifices at their places of worship. Verse 33, and though they worship the Lord, they continue to follow their own gods according to the religious customs of the nations from which they came. 
says they worship the Lord, but they also continue to follow their own gods. When I think about that, God was an add-on in their life. I see so much of that in our North American version of Christianity, that God is simply an add-on. It's like, you know, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll do Christianity. I'll go to church on Sunday. You know, we, God, yeah, I'm not giving you my life, but you can be a part of my life. You can have a part of my week. But they worship their own gods as well. Gods of pleasure. Gods of comfort. Gods of stuff. And I'm not, I, I, we're all tempted to do it. We're all tempted to be drawn away to, to worship other, other gods in our lives. Well, these guys lived that out. The Samaritans, they didn't... Uh, you know, they, they knew that they weren't allowed to come to the temple. The Jewish people made sure that they couldn't come to the temple. And so when, uh, when Nehemiah was rebuilding the temple, it's the Samaritans who come and try and stop him from rebuilding the temple. And when they're not successful stopping him, they actually build their own temple in, in a place called Mount Gerizim. And they build their temple in Mount Gerizim. And they actually said, hey, Moses said, this is the actual spot. You guys are wrong. We're right. Which, again, brought more tension between them. Uh, They only followed the first five books of Moses. They didn't follow all the rest known as the prophets, which, again, angered the Jewish people, saying, you know what? There's more to it than just that. And then the worst part of all, when people in, in in Israel, in the Jewish area, you know, weren't getting along with their own Jewish brothers, if they committed crimes, they, you know, the, the Jewish people would try and you know, take them, hold them accountable for their crimes. Well, they, where would they go? They'd go to Samaria. And Samaria would welcome them with open arms. So you've got a whole bunch of reasons why these people hate each other, and it's run deep. And basically, the Jews and, and the Samaritans had irreconcilable differences. They could, not, they could not coexist. And yet, it says Jesus had to go through Samaria. Nobody had to go. Why, why was he going through Samaria? John 4, verse 5, it says this. So eventually, as Jesus and the disciples came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, or Sychar, however you want to pronounce it, it was near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Here's two famous people from Israel, uh, Jewish history. Um, Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, who was tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. It's hot, 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 hot. I was thinking this, I'll put this up for Chris. Jesus was feeling hot, hot, hot as he was walking along. And he gets to the well, and he's like, you know what? It's noontime. He's going to sit by the well. And uh, as he's sitting by the well, you can just imagine the disciples thinking, yeah, okay, Jesus, we had to go through Samaria, didn't we? You know, now here we are. We're not even through Samaria. You're tired. You know, you don't, we could have gone by the Jordan um, River. There's lots of water down there. There's lots of trees down there. It's shady. It's cool. But no, you had to go. We had to go this way. You know, and so they, they leave Jesus sitting at the well. And as uh, they do, it says this in verse 7. Soon, a Samaritan woman comes to draw water. Here's two strikes against this person right away. She, she's coming. She's Samaritan, which is you know, a strike against her, according to the Jewish people. She's also a woman, which was a strike against her back in that culture because the men wouldn't speak to the women. They treated women as property. And the, you didn't speak publicly to women you didn't know. So here's, here's two strikes. But, but we actually will learn she has a whole lot more strikes against her. And we have one hint of that is the fact that she's coming to the well at noon. Nobody went to the wells at noon. It was hot. It was, they would gather together in the mornings to draw water, and they would talk with all the other people drawing water. Then they would come back again in the evening to draw water, and they would talk to all the people that they were, they were drawing water with from their village. So it's, it's like the water cooler conversations would happen here, and she wanted nothing to do with that. She came when she expected no one would be there. 
She didn't want to have to see anybody. She didn't want to have to talk to anybody. Here's verse 7. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. And what happened? Jesus said to her. Jesus is the one who initiates conversation with her. They both know this is an awkward moment. They both know. They both know that this is not, you know, that they didn't happen to just meet up at this well because that's, you know, where people have conversations. She's probably walking to the well thinking, oh, man. You know, there's, there's not supposed to be anybody here. What's he doing? Oh, he's a Jewish man. Oh, okay, just get the water and go. And all of a sudden he says, hey. She's like, what? Who, who me? Uh, yeah, you're the only person here. Uh, yeah, but you're a Jew. Why are you, why are you talking to me? Uh, I just wondered if I could have a drink. Yeah, but you're not supposed to be asking me anything. What's happening? He says, you know, he says, please give me a drink. And they're just alone, it says, because the disciples had gone to buy food. She was surprised, it says in verse 9. Why? Because she just says, just John writes it down in case people don't understand. He writes this, these words down that the, the Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. So she's surprised. And she says to Jesus this, you're, you're a Jew. Just remember that. That's how she addresses him. You're, you're a Jew. And I'm a Samaritan woman. I know who we are. How come you don't know who we are? I know the social taboo and protocol. How come you don't know the social taboo and protocol? Why are you asking me for a drink? You know, Jesus initiates a conversation with her because he knew he had something that she needed. See, when I think about us reaching out to the world, too often we forget that we have something that they need. He knew that he had something that she needed. Verse 10, it says this, Jesus replied, (laughs) You know, if you only knew the gift that God has for you and who you're speaking to, you would actually ask me the question and I would give you living water. But sir, she says, you don't have a rope or a bucket and that well is very deep. Where would you get living water? Verse 12, it says, and besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? It's this, this thought of, you know, like maybe you have it when you're reaching out to people saying, you know what? Hey, I'm a, I'm a Jesus follower. And they, that question, what? You think you're better than us? So often that's the thought. You know, church people, they must think that they're better than us. You know, most of you think you're better, but you're just hypocrites. Is, is it the words that come out so often? You know, it can, be, it can often be the response of others when we're reaching out. And maybe that thought, you know, <laughs> Why do, you think, why do you think you can help me when you don't even have your whole life together? It's like, you know, sharing with somebody about Christ and they look and say, ah, oh, well, your life's not all together. You, you know, how do you think you can even help me when you don't even have a bucket? She's saying to Jesus, how do you think you can help me when you don't even have a bucket? Jesus replies, he doesn't get offended. He's like, oh yeah, you're right, you know. Okay, I don't have a bucket. I, I can't really help you. He simply just continues to speak to her and says, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. He lets her know something important. He says, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again because it becomes fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Jesus invites her to trust him. He invites her to to trust him. I have something that you need. I'm inviting you to trust me with with this. He simply says, there's nothing on the outside that's ever going to satisfy he says the same things to, to Nicodemus, remember? It's something that happens in the inside. And he says to her, he says to her, 
This life is something within. It's a fresh spring with, within. You need something different inside, not outside. And all of a sudden, the conversation changes. Because he wasn't too scared to be in that awkward moment. He wasn't, he wasn't too, uh, too scared by social taboo or whatever to share truth with her. And here's, here's what he says, please, sir. <laughs> He's not that Jew anymore. This word, sir, is a sign of respect. It's like, okay, uh, you've treated me differently than I expected you to. People have expectations of how Christians are going to treat the world. They see it on TV. They hear it in newspapers. You know, they hear on, online preachers or whatever. And they have these expectations of how Christians feel about the world. But Jesus, as he shared with her, as he just invited her into the, to this conversation, she changes her tone and says, okay, sir, sir, um, if... Uh, she says, yeah, give me this water. You know, if you've got something, sure, I'll take it. And then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Thinking in her head, I'm not going to have to come here to this well again. It's hot, it's, it's inconvenient, but probably more so, I don't have to come to the place that reminds me all the time of my shame. I don't have to go here when no one else is here. I don't have to keep trying to find times when I don't have to be around anybody, when nobody has to know who I really am. But Jesus knows who she really is. Jesus knows who everyone really is, including you, including me. He says in this verse 16, so he says, go get your husband. Jesus told her, and she's like, uh, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, you're actually right. You don't have a husband because you've had five husbands. And the man you're living with right now, he's not even your husband. You certainly spoke the truth. This would have been the first episode of the Jerry Springer show. See, we just read it and we don't think like what that would have looked like. Can you imagine her face when somebody she's never met before tells her about her whole sexual history? That's shocking to her. Maybe not just shocking, but awkward. Jesus begins to speak straight to her situation and to her heart. You know what's amazing is that he still does that today. It's not on you to do that. Our job is to, to engage culture. Our job is to reach out to people that may not be in our kind, but it's his job to speak straight to their heart, and he does it all the time. You know how I know? <laughs> From you. There's so many times where people come up after a service and said. Mark, it's like you were speaking directly to me. You guys just made it on the quote board. Can I just tell you that that wasn't me speaking straight to you? It never is. It's not like your wife said, hey, my husband's going through this. Could you talk about this next Sunday? He really needs to hear it. Honey, he was speaking directly to me. That's not how this goes. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what I pray for every single time where I share up here is that he would speak to you. It's why I ask you, open your heart to him because if you will, he will speak to you. I can't change a life, but he can. One word from him can change your life. And we see it happening here. You know what happens when that happens? When you feel like you're sitting here this morning and maybe you feel like, oh, it's, it's messing with me a little bit. What's the first thing? Awkward. Check the clock. How, how much longer before we can get out of here? That's normal. She felt the same way. She's like, tries to change the subject. She says, sir, <laughs> uh, you must be a prophet or, or something. So, so tell me. Let, let's talk about something else. I don't, I don't want to talk about all my ex-husbands. Let's, let's talk about something else. Why is it that the Jews, you know, insist that Jerusalem's the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it's here at Mount Gerizim? Let me ask you some question that can get us into another argument, which should be the way it goes, and then we can just go our separate ways. 
And Jesus, he's not to be denied. He simply says, believe me, dear woman, the time's coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or Jerusalem. She's like, where do we worship God, you know? And he's like, it's not about God somewhere out there. He's like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter where people will worship the Father. So there's a relational aspect all of a sudden that's brought in. And he says, it won't matter if it's on this mountain or in Jerusalem. He says, you Samaritans, you actually know very little about the one you worship. Well, we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes to the Jews. Verse 23, but the time's coming. Indeed, it's actually here right now. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Why? Because the Father is looking for those. Sitting across in a conversation with her, the Heavenly Father is looking for you. She's like, wait, wait, saying, you know, where do we worship God the right way? He's like, the Heavenly Father is looking for you, young lady. Today, the same thing, the Heavenly Father is looking for you, young lady, young man, old lady, old man. Just got to make sure we're all included. He's looking for you. For those who will worship him that way, for God's spirit. So those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Verse 25 says, the woman said, again, change the subject. Hey, I, I, I know the Messiah is coming. We know about him. He's called the Christ. And when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. I'm out of here. And Jesus tells her something he hasn't told anybody yet. He hasn't told his disciples this yet. He hasn't told anybody. He tells her this. He says, you know what? I, I, I'm that guy. I am the Messiah. I am the savior of the world. And can you just imagine her like, Shock as she puts the pieces together. Okay, that's how he knew about husband number four. And that's why he talked to me in a way that no one else has talked to me. Everyone else, the Jews hate me because I'm Samaritan. The Samaritans hate me because of my past. Yet he talks to me in a different, completely different way. And he's inviting her to ask him for an internal change and eternal life. He's inviting her Just ask me for internal change and I'll give you eternal life. Your past, he says to her, does not disqualify you. And it's the same today. Your past does not disqualify you from the invitation to follow Jesus. Whether you're the person who thought you were pretty good like Nicodemus, that doesn't disqualify you from needing a savior. Maybe you're on the other side saying, I'm nothing like good. I'm surprised he even let me in here today. Your past doesn't disqualify you from the invitation that he's given to you to ask for an internal change. And before she can respond, before she can just say, okay, sir, I'm in, something happens. Here's what it says, verse 27, just then, just in that moment, the disciples come back and look at them. They're shocked. They're shocked to find Jesus talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask. But John writes down what they were thinking. They didn't ask him, but they were thinking, what does he want with her? I mean, he's like, He's going to be the, the savior of Israel. He can have any woman he wants. Why does he, what's he doing with a Samaritan woman? Why are you talking to her? It's like, just great. We leave him alone for one hour to go to town and we come back and this is what he's had to go through to, to Samaria, huh? You know, their thoughts are like, they know the social taboo. They know, they know the protocol. How come Jesus doesn't know the protocol? And here's what happens. The woman doesn't say anything. Verse 28, the woman, it says this, she left her water jar beside the well. She ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? Could he possibly be the Savior? 
Messiah. <laughs> not that Jew. Not, sir, I respect you, but you just might be the Savior that I need. My prayer this morning is that that's happening in your hearts as we speak. That maybe you thought, ah, Jesus is just somebody, you know, some story. Oh, but wait, maybe, maybe the way he treats people is maybe the way that, that I probably should treat people to, ah, maybe he's the Savior that I need. You know, her life hadn't changed at all. Sometimes we think, oh, you know, if you're going to be a Christian, your life's got to change like that. <laughs> you know, welcome. Thank you for accepting Jesus. Next week, you better not be drinking, smoking. You better break up with your, you know, if you're living with somebody, you better move out. You got to be like, you got one week to get your act together. That's not how Jesus does it. It's interesting. Her life hadn't changed at all, but her priorities changed instantly. What happened? She had come to the well to get water. And as soon as she meets and realizes Jesus is the Savior that I need, (laughs) she leaves the bucket. The reason she came, she left that there, and she runs back towards her village. Not only does she forget about what she was doing, like what her life was all about in that moment, she runs towards the people who she'd always been running away from. Why? Because when he gets a hold of your heart, something changes. Something should change. And what a wake-up call for us. As I I read this, I, I had to ask myself this question. As a follower of Jesus, am I more like that woman or am I more like the disciples? Is there something that happened on the inside that says, I have to let the world around me know that they need Jesus. I have to go into awkward situations with people that I may not always feel comfortable hanging around with because they need Jesus. They're not like me, but that's okay. People who are nothing like Jesus like Jesus because he loved them back. Or am I like the disciples? Ugh, this is awkward. Ugh, I don't know. I don't know if I like this too much. We find out, we find out about the disciples' response in verse 30. It says, Then she went and told people, could he possibly be the Messiah? He told me everything. He told me everything I ever did. And they're like, He told you about husband three? Everything. Okay, we gotta go see this guy. And so they stream out of the, out of the village. That's not like uh, one or two curious bystanders. This is people streaming from there. And you can see, here's his disciples' response in verse 30. Meanwhile, or they came streaming from the village to see him in verse 30. Meanwhile, in verse 31, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. You know, you were, you were tired. You still, we left you at the well. We got the food. You know, quick, look, Jesus. There, there was just one, but now they're all coming out. It's all Samaritans. We're going to be outnumbered. Like, quick, eat something. Let's get out of here. And Jesus says something to them that I hope burns in the heart of every Jesus follower here. But Jesus replied, I've got a kind of food that you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Like, nothing here makes sense. If you're not hungry, then you don't even need to waste time eating. (laughs) Let's get out of here. And verse 34, then Jesus explained, he says, Fellas, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God. You guys always wonder, what's the will of God? Your disciples are following me. we got to know what the will of God is. He says, this is the will of God, the one who sent me. And from, uh, he says, my nourishment comes from finishing his work. You want to know what the will of God looks like? Fellas, the will of God looks like sitting at a well with a Samaritan woman. 
And he would keep alluding to this, and ultimately he would speak it plainly. He says this, I'm commanding you as my Jesus followers. And if you say I'm a Jesus follower, this command comes to you this morning as well. I'm commanding you as my followers to go into all the world. What's all the world? Back then, all the world was Samaria. That was the awkward conversation then. What's the awkward one now? He's saying, I'm calling you to go into all the world. Even those people. You know, he said this, I'm commanding you as my followers to love people, love people the way I love people. And they're like, what? Jesus, what do you mean love people the way you love people? He says, let me just make it a little more clear. Love people the way that I love you. Don't love them the way you think they deserve. Don't love them the way that our culture says we should treat them. Don't love the way you've always been raised or what you tend to be drawn to. Love people the way I love people and love people the way I love you. Matthew, remember where you were when I found you? Yeah, I was in a tax collector's booth. Mm-hmm. What did we say? Come on, come follow me. Remember Peter's response? Jesus, don't let him follow us. Nobody's going to take us seriously. we got a tax collector with us. Peter, you're going to deny me three times, but I forgive you already. I love you. Come on, let's walk this life out together, inviting people in for something to change here. And here's what Jesus says to them. The Messiah didn't come just for your kind of people. Didn't come for just people that gather together on Sunday mornings who dress up and sit in a building on Sunday mornings. It's not who he came from. Verse 35, not only, he says this, you know the saying that there's four months between planting and harvest. You know that part. But he says, but I'm saying, wake up and look around. Wake up and look around. There are people around you who need to hear about Jesus. He says, the fields are already ripe for harvest. He says, see that stream of people coming? That's the harvest. He says, verse 36, the harvesters are paid good wages, but the fruit they harvest is what? People. People brought to eternal life. People brought to eternal life. Man, we are doing something so much bigger here than just trying to fill a building and build a bigger one. Changing the destiny of people. Real people. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. He says, you know the saying that one plants and another harvests? And it's true. He says, I'm sending you, and I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others already had done the work. You'll get to the God of the harvest. He says, wake up. That's to us as well. Wake up and look around. Look around. Are we sitting today around people of our kind? You know, where's, is there others that we tend to be kind to because they're our kind? And are we t- tempted to treat people differently? We've used this illustration before, but I want to use it one more time. It's a man named Richard Beck wrote a book called Unclean. And in the book, he tells this, uh, he tells this story. I just want you to picture yourself. As, have any of you waited tables before? Been a waitress or waiter? Some of you know that misery. Yeah. So he said this, picture, picture that you have uh, uh, your mom or your sister or your brother, is, or your best friend, is becoming a waiter at a restaurant. And so as, they, um, as they've prepared, they've gone through all the training, it's their very first night being a waiter. And so you get all your friends, you go because it's their first night. You want to you encourage them on their first night. And so you get to the seats, you're in their section, all of a sudden they show up and, and they're sweating. They look like terrified. They're nervous, nothing's gone right. They're like, guys, I think I'm going to lose my job today. Like I just, my first day, I'm going to, it's just not going well. And what do you do as you sit at that table? You know, you sit there and be like, don't worry about us. You know, go to those other tables. Yeah, but I got to get you drinks. We don't even need drinks. We don't even like water. Just, you just go, just go take care of them. And you sit there and you're like, 
You're like, oh man, maybe even say a prayer. You just like smile them, give them thumbs up as they're waiting on the other tables. You know, and then they come back finally after 15 minutes to take your food order. And like, uh, what do you guys want? And they're like, okay, well, I'll have the steak. I'll have the pizza and, and I'll have the sushi. I don't know if you can get all to the same restaurant, but that'd be cool. And he says, you know, so then they take, they take the order and they run off and you're sitting there and you're waiting half an hour later, 45 minutes, an hour all of a sudden, they come back, and they put your meals down, and you're like, this is cod. I didn't know steak came from a cod. You know, it's like, this isn't pizza. This is spaghetti. That's not sushi. That's, I don't know what that is, but it ain't sushi. And, and, and what do you do? You're like, I love cod. You know, that's, thank you. And, and what do you do at the end of the night when it's all gone terribly, and they come back, and like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Like, don't worry about it. Don't worry. You, you did great. And what do you do? You leave, but you leave them a big tip. It's like your meal was eight bucks and you left 50 on the table. Why? Because you want to encourage them. So picture that same scenario. Now you're at the same restaurant, same scenario, except the waiter's not somebody that you know. Here they show up and they're like, you know, I'm sorry, things are going a little crazy. Yeah, well, we've been waiting a long time. Where's our drinks? Okay, okay, I'll be right right with you. They run back. They come back, and they're like, can I take your order? Yeah, it's about time. You know, your tip just went from 15% down to 12, actually down to 10. You know, you think it. You don't say it. And then they're like, oh, okay, you know, steak, okay, pizza, sushi. And then they come back, and after an hour, and they bring you cod. What do you do? You're like, let me see the manager, please. Like, what is, what is seriously, what's wrong with, the, with this place? You, in your head, the tip's gone down to zero. Why? The one waiter or waitress was your mom, or your sister, or your best friend. The other one was someone's mom, someone's sister, someone's best friend. But why are we tempted to treat them differently when they're outside of our circle? We all are tempted to treat people differently. Not that we do, but we're tempted to. And maybe we got to stop worrying about what things look like, about who we maybe are in contact with, but more so about how we see people. Here's the result. We close up this morning, verse 39. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because of what this woman had said. Many. There's many people here this morning who came as a result of somebody showing you the love of Jesus. That's why you're here. But like that woman who had been shown the love of Jesus, she went and told others. Man, I found something amazing. Man, there's someone who loves you incredibly. Man, there's someone who could be the Messiah. And many Samaritans in the village believed in Jesus because the woman said, he told me everything I ever did. Really? Okay, well, we'll go check. It says verse 40, when they came out to see him, when that whole stream had arrived and Jesus was still there, they begged him to stay in their village. I love this. I think he did this just to spite the disciples a little. He stayed there for two whole days. Jesus, just say goodbye to them. We're leaving. No, we're sleeping over. Twice. (laughs) Why? Long enough for many more, many more to hear the message and believe, to trust in him. Here, I love this. Disciples, as they're sitting there thinking, this is awkward, this is awkward, this is awkward. John was there long enough to write this down. He says, this was their response, verse 42. Those who had come to put faith or to trust in Jesus for themselves, they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we've heard him ourselves. We heard his voice ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. Not just that Jewish guy, 
in the Bible times, not, okay, he's a respectful person I should maybe model my life after, to uh, maybe he's the Messiah, to he's my Savior. He's my Savior. So as we close this morning, where do, we, where do our lives intersect with this story? Because it's not just about a story. It is about me, and it is about you this morning. So what do we do with this? Let me leave you with two thoughts. To the Christians here this morning, to those who would say, when you came through those doors, you would say, yes, I am a Christian. My question is, are you following Jesus? Really? Are we really following Jesus? To you, I ask, is God just an add-on in your life? Is after you leave this place this morning, will there be no hint of following Jesus in the rest of your week? Something should change on the inside. You know, are you tempted as Jesus followers to stay away from the people who are not like you? Are you tempted in conversations to just try and get out of them because they're awkward rather than invest in them? That possibly someone may come to know Christ for themselves. Are you compelled to reach out to people with a, I have to, I just have to, I don't care if it's awkward, I have to. Or do you more so feel like the, uh, the disciples where, ah, that's just uncomfortable. Did you come here this morning as a Jesus follower planning, or not maybe not planning, but just in your thoughts, you're going to talk to your friends here this morning. When this is all over and we say, you know, you're dismissed, who are you going to go and hang out with right after this? Is it going to be your little group of friends? Or did you come with the intentional thing of, I'm going to go talk to someone I don't know? Because I don't know their story, but I want them to know that they're welcome here. Oh, that's awkward. what faith in Christ is all about, that we would go and make disciples, that our lives would intersect. You know, to be honest, there's so many people that come here and say, wow, it's a really friendly place. And then shortly after being here, they're like, you know, I just can't connect with anybody here. I just don't know why. It feels like they are all friendly with each other. As we grow bigger, we're going to have more and more people coming through those doors with a story that simply need to hear someone say, you're welcome here. You're welcome here. Are we really following Jesus? Second thought, last thought. To those here, you're not Jesus followers. This just got real awkward and you just can't wait to get out. And you're like, I thought it was over at 11. You know, yeah, I'm so glad that Jesus treated people who were not like him with love and with grace, with respect, because I'm one of those people who is not very much like Jesus. And maybe you're one of those people who would say the same. You feel like, you know, you're, you're not, maybe you're not very much like Jesus. Today, I just want to tell you that this is more than just a story. And I hope that you listened with ears, not just of here, but of your heart this morning. Because Jesus is inviting you to come follow him as well. Like that woman at the well, he invited her. He invited her to simply ask for an internal change. Not get your life together on the outside. Jesus, would you just do something internal change here? And he says, and I'll give you eternal life. That invitation is for you this morning. That if you're here and you're like, maybe you feel like Nicodemus, you think, ah, you know what, I'm pretty good. Jesus would say to you, you you're not good enough. There's never, you don't have, a, you know, a clean slate all the way. He says, it's not about your outward behavior. That will never be enough. You still need a savior. And maybe for you, you'd admit that this morning saying, yeah, I've lived pretty good, but I need a savior. Jesus, would you come do something inside? Would you change me from the inside? And maybe you're here on the other, and you're on the other side. You're like, you know what? I don't think God would want me. 
I, my, my life has got so many mistakes, so many mess-ups. So I, I just feel guilty every time I come near a church. That's not Jesus' thoughts. He's simply saying to you, maybe people will treat you that way, but I won't. And I'm inviting you to ask me for living water, for an inter- internal change and eternal life. I don't know about you, but I think that's something you shouldn't pass up. And it doesn't require some fancy prayer. It just requires that decision to say, okay, Jesus, I trust in you that you are the Savior of the world. Your life will change. Priorities will change. It'll be for the best, I promise you. Can we pray? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the stories that are more than stories. Thanks for your voice, Holy Spirit, that speaks to our heart, that translates today's thoughts into specific things for each and every one of us here. If we just sit for a moment, listening for your voice, God, would you, would you lead and direct us this week? I know, you're, I know you're always speaking. Help us to hear. Help us to listen for what this means for each and every one of us. Help us be courageous to step out when you, where you lead. Father, as our paths cross paths with people this, this week that maybe we wouldn't normally speak to, God, that we would follow your promptings just to let people know. Let people know that we have something that they may need. Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you for giving your life for us on the cross, for giving us, for giving us life. It is because of you that we're here and in your name that we go as we follow you this week. Love you. Amen. In your name I pray. Amen.